All right, let me open us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much that we could be here this morning uh, to be here in your presence. Lord, not just to study your word, uh, but Lord, to know you through your word. We thank you so much that uh, you have uh, given us your Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And we pray that it would be your spirit that would teach and instruct us and challenge us this morning as we look at this rich topic of what it means to abide in Christ. Uh, Father, we pray for those that are yet on their way. We know that Sunday mornings can be very challenging, and we just pray that you would bring them here safely. Uh, Lord, that uh, uh, you would be with us uh, all, we pray in your name. Amen. All right. We looked at a number of things last week that I'm not going to review because I have way too much stuff to cover today. As a matter of fact, I have a feeling I'm going to stop mid-lesson because I'm going to just run out of time. So uh, we're going to go ahead and move forward. If you need to listen to what we talked about last week, they're online on our website, kotp.org. You can just go to the sermons and lessons and pick that up. Or if you have the church app, you can even listen to it there as well. But one of the things that we did talk about last week uh, as we looked at the fruit of the Spirit is is that it is something that God produces in the life of every believer. Um, as a matter of fact, if you want to just uh, really sort of sort of check a person's profession of faith, uh, look at their life to see if you see the work of the Spirit of God in their life and producing the fruit of the Spirit. Um, it is a Christ-like character that grows by grace at the hand of God. And so, anyway, it's uh, uh, exciting that the Lord has uh, allowed us to be able to do this study. Now, the reality is, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we know that we are chosen, we know that we are forgiven, accepted as righteous. We know that God makes us part of a community, that He makes us new, He keeps us perfectly, whatever it is that comes our way. We know that we are secure in Jesus Christ. We know all these things as good, reformed believers But one of the things that we were reminded of last week that is true for every believer is what Paul wrote in Romans 8.29, that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that means that all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will be conformed to the image of Christ. And that means we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. So, anyway, I just want to encourage you, you know, as uh, as you read that list of the fruit of the Spirit, that this is a work that God is doing in and through us. You know, and it's you know we know as Christians that we don't put ourselves into Christ or unite ourselves to Him. Uh, this is a work that's begun and sustained by the Holy Spirit. And yet, that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in this whole matter of bearing fruit. If you take your Bibles and turn to John 15, uh, we're going to keep coming back to John 15 today, but we're not going to look exclusively at John 15. We'll be looking at other passages as well. But um, in John 15, verses 4 and 5, we see this whole relationship of the fact that the work that God does in our hearts is one that He does... And yet, uh, we must abide in Him. And so there is that aspect that He is at work, and we are as well. Let me read from John 15, 4 and 5. 
Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we see that relationship where there there is both there. Now we sort of ended last week by asking the question, how can we go about abiding in Christ? Okay? And as we looked at this, uh, can anybody tell me what the term abiding means? In, in the Greek, uh, it is meno. Okay? It's the Greek word. Okay? But what does it mean to abide? Can anybody tell me? Portuguese translation is remain. Remain, okay, yeah. Remain. Um, also maybe to dwell, which would be the same kind of thing, to, to live there, to continue in, to endure, uh, to be present there, to remain. Uh, as we said before, to stand. And, and so it, it's that sense of, uh, as, as the scriptures say, it's a sense of abiding, of, of being right there. Now, if I might just take a, a little bit of a sidetrack, and let me talk just a minute about communion and, or union and communion with Christ. I know all of us have, have heard those terms. Uh, but let me just go into this a little bit more, and then we'll come back and we'll tie in this whole idea of abiding with that. Union with Christ is that spiritual union that exists between Christ and the Christian, right? There is this spiritual connection that we have in Jesus Christ. H.R. Uh, McIntosh, he's a 19th century British theologian, uh, he wrote a book uh, on the person of Christ. He says, it's not putting it too strongly to say that union with Christ is a brief name for all that the apostles mean by salvation. In other words, uh, you know, through our union with Christ, what is true of Him becomes true of us. Now, now, don't take that too far. I mean, He's the Son of God. It doesn't mean we become the Son of God. We are sons of God, but we don't become the Son of God. But you know, Christ was crucified. And therefore, we are crucified. He was raised from the dead, and therefore, we are raised from the dead because of this union with God. Now, Christ dwells in us by His Holy Spirit. That's where that union comes from, that, that connection, that uh, spiritual union. And through that, Christ empowers us to live godly lives. So that's that union with Christ. But there's also this thing called communion, and that's where we live by faith in the realities and the commands that we read in Scripture. So there's, there, we're sort of coming from two directions, from Christ who gives us his spirit, but then also that we are walking by faith, and so you have that union and communion. Now, the best uh, real-life picture that I can think to describe union and communion is marriage. Okay, maybe there's better ones, but marriage is the best one that, that I have heard. And I know not everyone in this room is married, but if you, even if you're not married, you know people who are married, so you can understand this. But when a husband and a wife are joined together in marriage, they're united in a relationship. 
Their united and holy matrimony is the, the term that, that we use. And so there's that relationship there with them. Now, the difference with Christ is, you know, unlike a, a human marriage relationship, the husband and wife, you know, consent to be part of that relationship with Christ. He chose us. So maybe I guess you could say that it's it's sort of like an arranged marriage. Maybe that would be a better way to put it. I don't know. But anyway, so there's that union with them. But because of that union, once they're married, there is a response towards one another. There, there is a, a, a couple seeks to grow in their intimacy with each other. Okay? Um, and I don't mean just sexually. I mean in terms of communication, in, in knowing each other, in spending time together, in enjoying each other relationally. There's a lot that goes into that relationship. They don't just say, well, we're married, and so that's it. You know, because we're married, therefore, then we get to enjoy this relationship. We're growing in their love and their relationship with each other. And so in any marriage relationship, there is this union and this communion. Now, can you imagine a, relate, a marriage, and I'm sure you know of marriages like this, where there is the union, they are married, but there's not much communion. As a matter of fact, as you look at them, you think, my goodness, they don't even like talk to each other. It's like two individuals that live under a roof, and, and yet they don't talk to each other, they don't spend time. He has his hobbies, she has her hobbies, he has his friends, she has her friends. As a matter of fact, sometimes you see the dynamic in a marriage relationship where uh, you have the husband and wife, and they spend years together in their marriage, and then when the kids move out of the house, they get a divorce. And the reason why is because there was no communion. Or maybe it was terrible communion with one another. And the only thing they really had in common was the kids. And now that the kids are gone, there's no need to, to stay together. And so they end up parting. Well, another word for that idea of communion is the idea of abiding. It's that idea of that relationship. Abiding is our response to Christ's union with us. Does that make sense? Are you with me there in terms of that? Now, I understand, I'm sure somebody would raise this subject and they say, Pastor Rick, but the response that we have, even that requires the Holy Spirit at work in us. And that's true. I mean, we all know Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul tells us to work out our salvation, right? With fear and trembling, because he says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so it is true that the obedience to Christ that we see in our lives is something that is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is the and it is our work too as well. It is we have a part in that as well. So then the question comes: Then how do we abide in Christ? Okay, that's like finally we got back to where we started, <laughs> Pastor Rick. So how do we abide in Christ? Well. Let me give you several different ways. I'm not suggesting that this is an exhaustive list, okay, of how we abide in Christ or what it means to abide in Christ, okay? But it is uh, a good place to start uh, and something I want us to consider. The first thing, abiding has to do with the way Scripture dwells in our hearts, okay? It has to do with the way that Scripture dwells in our hearts. If you look at John 15, once again, verse 7 you read, if you abide in me, this is Jesus speaking, if you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. Here again, that word abide means to dwell, to, to live, to, to remain there. If my word remains in you. If you would, turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Like I said, keep your place in John. We'll be coming back to John. But Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 16. Once again, another very familiar passage. Uh, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then we know the rest. Teaching and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. But notice that first phrase. Let the word of Christ, what? Dwell. Let it abide in you. Now, at this point in time, there's some of you that are probably thinking, and I think this is very common, for people to go, okay, I just knew it. The preacher's just going to tell us we just need to read our Bibles more. If we just read our Bibles, then that's how we abide in Christ. So just spend more time reading the Word. And that's not really what I'm saying this morning. Okay, uh, That's really not at all what I'm saying. Let's look at Galatians, and then we'll come back to that, uh, that concern that some Christians have. In Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4, Paul informs us that our life is hidden with Christ in God, that Christ is our life. Okay, that's another way to talk about that union with Christ. All right? We are in Christ. And because of that, if you look at verse 5 and following, he talks about putting off the old man, right? And he talks about putting on the new man. Okay? And if you skip down to verse 12, you see that he talks about character traits like kindness and humility or meekness. Okay, that word meekness there can also be translated gentleness, and it is translated gentleness in the fruit of the Spirit. Also, patience, right? So you begin to see some of the things that you see in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, so on and so forth. So it is that that's developed in us. So it's as we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly that the Spirit changes us and causes us to bear fruit. Okay? So to abide in Christ is to let the Word abide in us. It is to be immersed in Scriptures, which does include reading Scripture or listening to Scripture. But it also includes much more than that as well. It means to study the Word of God. It means to memorize and to think about, to ingest, sort of absorb, to, to meditate on the Word of God. What, what does Psalm 119 say over and over and over? It talks about meditating on the Word of God. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. What does Psalm 1 say? You know, that the man that's like the tree that's planted by streams of water, what's he do? What does he do? He meditates on God's word, on his law, day and night. There's that sense of meditating. Now, I want to talk about this whole idea of meditating, if I could, just a minute. If you have never really read much about meditation, and I'm not talking about Eastern meditation, 
where you contemplate your belly button and you know all of the inner feelings you have and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm talking about biblical meditation where we're meditating on the Word of God. If, you, if you've never really read much on that or you feel like you could benefit from um, some insightful reading, then I would recommend this book, God's Battle Plan for the Mind by David W. Saxton. Okay, And he sort of walks through, goes back to the, the Puritans a lot, and just sort of walks through how they viewed meditation. And there's so much here, I couldn't even begin to, to summarize all that, that is in there. But, but I'm going to try, okay? <laughs> and I'm going to try to just give you some very basic ideas about meditation that might help you as you, as you think, as you seek to abide in Christ, okay? As we think about this, the first thing that is suggested is, is that you pray for the Holy Spirit's help to meditate. Meditation is not easy, and it's an incredibly spiritual activity. And the more spiritual an activity is, the more likely that Satan is to be right there to, to snatch it away and to seek to distract you and things. As a matter of fact, in this book, they talk about finding the right time to meditate, finding the right place to meditate, you know, and all that to, to, to sort of do away with these distractions. And so um, there's a lot that they talk about in there. So pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to help you to meditate. But then... He goes on, he says, then read the passage of Scripture. But they caution us against not uh, not reading too long of a passage. Because when you seek to meditate, and if you know if you picked out, you know, Galatians or uh, Colossians chapter three, uh, you could be there for days if you if you really sought to, to meditate on that. So read a shorter passage. And then as you you, you read the text and you uh, seek to understand what the text means. But then you also ask questions and consider and examine oneself. Examine your own life in light of that scripture that you see there in front of you. For example, if one were meditating on the full forgiveness of Jesus Christ, okay, you might also ponder how it is inappropriate for God's children to live in insecurity and doubt. And so as you think about that forgiveness, you don't just say... Oh yes, I know that Christ has forgiven me fully and my sins are washed away in the blood of the Lamb. But then you begin to look at your life and you say, Lord, do I under I know I know that in my mind, but have I taken that to heart? Do do I truly understand that? Do I seek to to live in the fullness of the forgiveness that you have given to me? Lord, is there any sense in which, you know, uh, I feel insecure that my sins are not forgiven. Lord, is there any doubts that I have in my mind? God, could it be that you know I am still living under a performance mentality? Lord, is that why I need to have my life just perfectly organized and structured and live by a schedule? And my house has to just look perfect and all these things because I'm still seeking the approval of others because I understand I sin and I just feel like I have to be better if I can. And see, God, I don't really truly understand the fullness of your forgiveness. So there's a sense in which you're asking questions and you're considering and you're examining your life. You're, if, you, if I could say it, it's like holding the word of God up to yourself and your life and sort of examining your life through that word. And... Uh, we do so 
not only for a better understanding of God's word and of our own selves, but also uh, inflaming one's affections towards Christ, right? Uh, inflaming one's affections towards Jesus Christ. Because, you know, we can know a lot theologically, but what is it we desire? What is it that's the, the passion of our hearts? And that is, uh, that's one of the little... You see, the goal of meditation is to surrender the will to the purposes of God, right? The goal is to surrender the, our will to the purposes of God. And we want to see that be a reality in all of our lives. I know, there's just so much cuteness walking by you. I just totally lost all of you guys, right? So let me try to get you back to me. You know, this is so important. Yeah, it's just hard to compete with those cute little kids that walk by. Uh, so yeah, so the goal is to surrender our wills to the purposes of God. And then the final thing, you know, we might think, we might feel pretty good when we get done with that and say, wow, I've done a lot of work. I, I now understand how God's word uh, applies to my life. But the, the Puritans go one step further, and they always conclude with personal application. So what needs to change? They, they, they always conclude with resolution and with prayer. So it's not even ending just with personal application. It may be walking away with personal application saying, so therefore, I need to keep this in mind as I do this. That I need to understand that this is a temptation that I have. But that's not enough. You also need to be resolved to pray and say, God, would you change my heart in that way? Would you change me, Lord, to understand the fullness of your forgiveness and to rest in that? So, Anyway, that's just like a tiny sliver of what you're going to get. And I get no kickback from buying this book. But uh, it, it was very helpful for me. It's been a while since I read it, but it's probably a book I'll go back and read over and over and over. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, yeah, so I, I just want us to understand that the goal of having God's Word in our hearts is that it might, ref it might refashion us uh, to become more like Christ. Abiding in Christ is a measure of our conformity to what God asks us to do in response to, to, uh, to us in the gospel. Um, you know, it's very much like what James talks about in James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, right? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now, notice what James says. It's not like he glances in the mirror and then walks away. It says he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face. Do you guys know people who like spend a long time in front of the mirror? If it's your husband or wife, don't raise your hand or don't say amen or anything, okay? But, you know, they just spend a lot of time in front of the mirror because they're examining everything. They want to make sure it looks just perfect. That's what James is talking about. And yet he said if they're not a doer of the word, they're like somebody that even though they looked at it intently, they walk away and they just forget. And we can be the same way. As a matter of fact, in this book on, on meditation, they make the point that the Puritans used to say it's better to meditate on one sermon than to listen to multiple sermons throughout the week. And I think, you know, that's probably where we're at as the church. We have all this, you know, we read blogs, we listen to podcasts, you know, we have our personal worship time, we come to worship on Sunday, 
we you know may come on Wednesday nights and, and, and hear the word and there's all this input of God's word but when do we stop and to reflect when do we meditate when do we examine our our own lives and ask the Holy Spirit to do that and so abiding consists in categories of obedience and holiness it's not just reading the word but it's a sense of seeing the word do its work in our lives. Uh, any any questions about that? Okay, I want to give you some questions, uh, and I had some other ones. I just couldn't put my hands on them before Sunday school, and so if I find them, maybe I'll give them to you in the future. But Brian Chapel uh, has a good set of questions that he uses. You know, whenever he's studying the Bible, he said these are just basic questions that help you in terms of like meditating on the Word of God to understand what it says before you even then apply that to your life. And some of the questions that he asked, when the first thing he asked is, what does this passage show me about who God is, about God's character? You know, oftentimes we open the Bible, we read it, and we think, how does this apply to my life? Well, that's to sort of get the cart in front of the horse, where we ought to start is with the character of God. What is this telling me about who God is? And then meditate upon that. Think about that. Second, then, not only what does this passage show me about who God is, but what does this passage reveal about my sinful nature, my needs, my my rebellion against God? Um, and then third, what does this passage reveal about God's solution? Right? What Christ has done for me. What does this reveal to me about my union with Christ? About the blessings that I have with Christ that have been given to me through the Holy Spirit. And as I walk by faith to the commands of God, what has been given to me? And, and to walk in those things. Those are just some uh, things, if you want to take a picture of that or write those down or whatever, you know, it might help you just in terms of uh, thinking about um, of the, these things and the whole idea of meditation. All right. The second thing that it means to abide in Christ is abiding in Christ suggests a passionate, increasing, and enduring love of Christ. Okay? A passionate, increasing, enduring love of Christ. If you look down at verse 15, he said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Also, if you would turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter uh, says the same thing. He says, if you keep, or excuse me, uh, 1 Peter 1 6. He said, in this. You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then notice what he says next. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You see, that's the posture of the Christian, that though we have never seen Christ, we love him. 
You see, abiding begins and continues with a focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I don't just mean from a theological, biblical, uh, distant perspective, okay? Um, I'm speaking of uh, the person of Jesus, uh, not just of the person of Jesus Christ, because we can think of Jesus Christ as someone who is distant from us, but I'm talking about the personal Christ. And, and if you want to see somebody who really had that understanding of Christ, read the Apostle Paul. Let me read to you Galatians 2.20. Many of you probably have memorized this verse, so say it with me in your minds. But I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's not talking about a distant Savior. He's talking about someone he loves, someone he he praises, somebody, somebody who he worships because of what Christ has done for him. And, and Peter has that same tone as well. If you're still at 1 Peter 1, look at verse 8. I only read the first part of verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. But look at the last part. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, that's what a relationship with Christ is. That's what it means to abide in Him. Abiding lives out this newfound fellowship with the Father and the Son. A a young married couple, when they get married and before the kids come and all the, the chaos comes to the household oftentimes, what do they do? They're together all the time. You know, they're, they're talking to one another. They're, you know, so, so what do you like? What's your favorite kind of ice cream? Or, you know, what, if you could go anywhere in the world on vacation, where would you go? And you have all these questions that you have, and you're just trying to discover one another. Sometimes you're like, really? You tuck the covers in? I can't believe you do that. You know, I always have to sleep with the covers untucked. You know, you find out all kinds of things about each other. Maybe some things are frustrating each other. But, you know, but with Christ, there is that newfound fellowship that we have with him. And as a young believer, we're oftentimes so excited about that. But as we get older, sometimes that begins to wane. Because I think we forget that abiding in Christ suggests a passionate, increasing, and enduring love of Christ. In in John chapter 15, verse 5, when it talks about abiding in Him, uh, Jesus characterizes the nature of that abiding. It's not mechanical, but it's very relational. You know, he says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. That's not an impersonal thing. So our love for Christ must grow and it must flourish. So are you beginning to see a picture here? You know, preachers do say read your Bible a lot, but I think what happens is then... As, as Christians, we just read our Bible and we say, okay, I've, I've spent my half hour in reading a chapter of the Bible and I prayed through the families in our church and the different needs in our church and the other things that I, that I have in my life that I desire to pray for. And I just sort of do this you know, exercise and now I can check off this box and I'm doing great. And yet sometimes in our lives, while that's good, 
it can be lacking. And part of that is because there is that sense that through the Word and through that sense uh, of abiding in Him, there's that sense of a relationship with Christ. Well, the third thing that we see, and this probably won't surprise you, but abiding in Christ will shape our praying, enabling us to pray in a manner that conforms to the will of God. Okay? Um, verse 7 in John 15. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Ask, that means to pray. To pray. Um, if you would look over at Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 18. Ephesians 6, 18, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is after the section on the armor of God. And he says, yes, you are to have the armor of God, but also praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So prayer is indispensable to abiding. Through, through it, we express complete and continual dependence upon God. And as we're going to see in the sermon, dependence is a good thing, right? Uh, but also, it is the way that we live out our communion with God as well. It is not only a sense of of, of talking with Him and sharing with Him what we want, but as we're reading God's Word, God's Word begins to change our desires. The Spirit begins to change our desires through the Word as we see what who God is in His character and what He desires and what He does. And then we begin to say, yes, Lord, I want that too. And that expresses itself in our prayers to where now... Christ's major ministry right now is prayer. He's praying for his church. And so then as we pray, then we are praying in accordance with, with his will. And, and, and Jesus ties our spiritual fruitfulness into our prayers. Look at John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, He will give it to you. You see, abiding fruit comes by way of abiding prayer. And the Apostle Paul understood this. He understood that any fruit that he was going to have to have would be uh, out of, of praying. Now, let me read the end of Ephesians 6. Uh, Ephesians 6.18. Let me read the entire verse. I just read to you the first part of that verse earlier. He said, Praying... Paul is urging us, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There is a sense of which we are to pray. Now, I want to say one last thing about this whole idea of abiding in Christ. Certainly, abiding uh, in Christ is an individual matter. It's something that every Christian is to do. But I would suggest to you, too, that if you look at these aspects of abiding, that they are to be cultivated in the community of the church as well, right? That we are to pray with and for one another, that we are to teach and admonish one another in terms of the Word of God and the application of the Word, that we are to love one another and stimulate one another to love Christ. And so abiding is something we do individually, but it's also something we do corporately as well. Right? Uh, questions about that?
Okay, so let me do something that just terrifies me. I'm going to sort of open this up a little bit, okay? Uh, because as I've been thinking about this all week, I thought, you know, you're sitting there and you're listening, and I go, you go, yeah, Pastor Rick, I understand everything you said. I understand what the Bible says. But then I live life out here. I live life out here. And I have all these things that are going on. And, you know, this sounds great sitting in church. But as I'm thinking about my schedule, I'm not seeing how this is going to work. And so my question to you is this. What hinders you from abiding in Christ in the way that we describe today? What are the things that, that hinders you? Absolutely nothing. You guys do this perfectly, huh? Wow, that is so great. I'm so happy to hear that. I could give you a whole list, but I'd love to hear as you think about this. What are the, some of the things that... that you struggle with? Yes, Ben? Being disciplined. Okay. Being disciplined? What do you mean by that, being disciplined? What was that? I mean, a lot of those. Being disciplined with a lot of the ordinary events of the day, structuring the day, so that I make sure I spend, I, I give myself time for that. Okay. And I, that also includes prioritizing it over other things. But. Okay. So it's structure, it's priority. So it's not a sense of not knowing. But it's that implementation, there's, you know, you may not have that worked into your schedule, you may not have the priority. What else hinders us? Does anybody have kids in here? Yeah, okay. Do they have anything to do with this? You know, right? Uh, you know, you love your kids. Children are a blessing from the Lord, right? But, you know, there's a lot to do to take care of those little boogers, you know? And maybe some of them aren't so little, right? They're big boogers now, right? You know, I don't know. But, you know, they grow up to be teenagers. And then there's like a whole boatload more in one sense that you have to deal with, you know, in terms of that. And there can be just so many demands upon your life. And you think, you know, how, how can I ever do this? Anything else? Yes. Suzanne. As a couple, we're kind of afraid of like showing each other up with how much we're doing devotions, so we kind of like hide from each other. Oh. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, I don't even know how to put that down. So, <laughs> so you you you're very competitive. No, we don't want to guilt the other person into doing Oh, questions. gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So, so how does that hinder hinder your time in the Word then? We're not as likely to do it because we don't want to be... Okay, you don't want to appear more spiritual. Yeah. Then. Okay. Which okay. means we're not as spiritual. <laughs> gotcha. Alright. Anything else? You know, sometimes... Uh, I think we just follow our desires and our desires aren't always to do this. You know, 
uh, the flesh, the devil, even the world is pressing in on us to to uh, be distracted with other things. And so there's so many other things that are out there for us to do. And, and I have to say this, I think with the internet, I see a lot more pressure on young families than, than I have ever seen. Maybe I should put it this way. I see more young families putting pressure on themselves, I think, uh, than I have seen in years past. And I pray for you often, you know, because of that. But I think the internet, is a tool that sort of feeds that and, and fosters that uh, with each other. Okay, so um, so how do you address those things? How do, how do we seek to get past those? Yes, Ben. Well, this is going back more to the internet thing. Okay. Um, but one of the way things with the internet is it, it increases the pressure you put on yourself without giving you the support, usually, to handle that. Where in times past, it would have been a stronger community structure that would have helped you with that. And the rhythms would have helped give you that structure, not just for parenting, but also for worshiping God in private meditation. Yeah, that's um, true. And so build, finding ways to build that up within your own family, working together with that. Yes, and, and I'm not anti-internet, by any stretch of the imagination. I think in one sense, well, I don't know, I'd say that the internet is neutral. But um, but there is a sense in which it is a tool. You know, but to your point, Ben, on the internet, you actually, instead of not even not getting the support, you may get blasted mm-hmm. or raked over the coals and belittled, you know, for the things that you do and stuff as well. And so you're saying maybe disconnect a little bit is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm not saying completely disconnect unless you're right. that in your life. But like, you have to disconnect a little bit and find ways to strengthen your personal, uh, real-life uh, interactions that can help you provide that, some of that structure and support for those different things. Yeah, yeah. And part of that comes back to the whole idea of planning, you know, is to, you know, uh, was it Steve Covey that, you know, talks about the seven habits of highly effective people and stuff. And he talks about, you know, putting the big pillars, the important things in your life and setting those things in stone. And that time with God is one of those big pillars. But oftentimes we view it as the little gravel that we just sort of fill in around the other things that we do in our lives. You know, we, we if you talk to Christians, it's amazing how many Christians are like, well, Pastor Rick, I like to do that, but I have... And I'm like, well, you know, those things that you have to do or to um, people you have to meet with or whatever, those things are the pillars in your life. And you're just working God around those. God has to be one of those pillars. I think about Suzanne Wesley, you know, when it talks about kids. You know, she had like a, a boatload of kids. And, uh, um, you, know, uh, you know, people talk about her, you know, your prayer closet and where you could just spend time with God's word. Her prayer closet was, she would sit down, I think it was in the kitchen, but I think it was in a rocking chair if I remember, but I do remember what she would do is when she would sit down, she would take her apron and she would just throw it over her head. And that was a signal to all the kids, moms with God, leave her alone. And they knew that they could not interrupt her. She was saying, I love you kids, you know, and short of blood and fire or something like that, you know, don't interrupt me. Uh, 
my time with God is important. And they respected that. Now, you know, when you have little, little kids, that's hard to do. You know, and sometimes you can be sitting over here in the corner and you can be trying to read your Bible or whatever. And, Mommy, 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 do this. Or, Mommy, do this. Or, Daddy, would you play with me? Or, you know, whatever it is. And you have, you know, all these things that are that are pressing on you. But maybe part of that is is to changing your priorities to say, you know, when the kids go down for a nap, that's when I'm going to spend my time with the Lord. You say, well, Pastor Rick, that's the time I work out, or that's the time I clean the house, or that's the time I do the laundry. And it's like, okay, that's good. But here again, what's the pillar? What is the most important thing? And so here again, I would just encourage you to to do these things and just to, to start small. Start small. You know, don't say, well, I'm going to do this for an hour, or I'm going to do this for two hours a day. Just to say, I want to just meditate for 15 minutes. And that's my Bible reading, my meditation, my prayer. And just make that quality time with the Lord. And then let that expand. I think part of, uh, I shouldn't have erased it, but that where I put desire, sometimes our desires can trip us up. It's as we spend that time meditating and loving Christ more, that that changes the desires of our hearts. I'm not saying we can't ever be tempted or distracted by the things of the world or that the flesh won't raise its ugly head or Satan won't be there whispering in our ear. But there is a sense in which also the more we love Christ, you know, often the less that we love the world. And so I want you to, to wrestle with this. This isn't just a preacher, like I said, telling you to read your Bible more. It's a sense of... Uh, uh, a spiritual father desirous that you know your Lord and that you love him as you abide in him. Any other comments? Okay, I have a whole nother lesson and I'm not kidding you. Um, if you look at uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 it talks about the father as the vine dresser he's the gardener so I'm going to give you the short 10 minute version of that whole half hour lesson okay so we're going to move quickly but I just I, I don't want to pass this up I just want you to know how much your father loves you and I want to encourage you in his love He's, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And what does the Father do? He tends our lives for the production of fruit. God the Father is going to make sure that as a believer that you bear fruit. Our God is a hands-on Father. He's interested and He's involved in our lives to conform us to the image of His Son. That's how much... He loves us. Now, let me ask you a question. And we're just going to go along with the analogy of the garden and plants and stuff like that. Uh, what happens when we let our gardens at home go unattended? When they're not tended? What happens? Weeds, right? What do you have to do to encourage weeds? Absolutely nothing, right? Uh, weeds spring up everywhere. They choke out your plants. And that's the way it works with us as well. That the sin that remains in us produces those weeds. And 
Paul talks about the works of the flesh, and I'm not going to go back over that in Galatians 5, 19-21. You can go back and read that yourself. But like the weeds we, we rustle in our garden, uh, these weeds of the flesh grow up with very little help, right, at all. They're just always there. And the more we allow them to grow, grow the more robust they become. I don't know how many times I've been out mowing the lawn and I see, and I don't mind mowing the lawn, I just hate the weed flower beds. And I see a weed and I think, I ought to pull that weed. And I think, no, I'll do that later. And then the next week I'm mowing the lawn, oh, I'll do that later. You know, so now two months have gone by and this weed is now a tree. And you know, I gotta hack this sucker down and I gotta dig up the roots. And I mean, it's like huge. It's just like I'm thinking, my goodness, it's only been two months. And this thing is uh, about ready to take over. And that's how sin is when it's left unchecked. And, and the Father knows this. And if you're here today and you're a parent, you know, I want you to understand that God understands how sin works in our hearts. And, and young people, I want you to understand that's exactly why God gave you parents. Right? To help you. You know, the Bible talks about train up a child in the way you should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You know, there's a sense in which that's a promise, but at its core, it's, it also presents a grave warning that the plant in my yard, if I ignore that, it's going to get stronger in the same way, young people, if you let the sin go in your life, then it's going to become stronger. And so your parents are there to help discipline you and train you. And the Bible says that our father, the vine dresser, is the same way. In Romans 12, he is that father that loves us so much that he disciplines us. And I'm not going to read it, but you can look at Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, and how God is treating us as sons. But then I want you to... to Hear me as I read Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. He said, My son, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Proverbs, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, that is his correction. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son, excuse me, as a father the son in whom he delights. And so God tells us this because he knows the resistance in our lives and in our hearts. He knows that we can be like our kids that are very resistant to his discipline. And he said, don't despise that discipline. Don't despise that reproof. Now that word despise means to look down upon or to have contempt on or to give heed, to, to not heed. Uh, that's the idea there to despise. So don't look down on the discipline of the Lord. And we can do that in a number of ways. One of the ways we can do that is by not recognizing the discipline of the Lord. Uh, we make light of God's discipline by not recognizing it. And, you know, you think of a kid that's at the checkout, you know, and right there at the checkouts where they have all the candy and all the stuff that little kids want. And you imagine going through there as a mom and you got a three-year-old and they're wanting candy, and you say no, and they insist they want candy, and you say no, and they're just not even listening to your discipline. You know, and so now they're screaming bloody murder, 
and you're walking out of the store with your three-year-old that's screaming and your groceries, and you got every eye in the store looking at you as you walk out the door. Because that child is not heeding your discipline, and you're just like, you know, but how well do we recognize those times in our lives when our Heavenly Father deprives us of something we want or leads us into trials, both for our own good? You know, don't we oftentimes fail to recognize those things that God is doing in our lives as discipline? You know, James talks about that. He says, know that the testing of your faith produces patience. Uh, And so we need to understand that as God disciplines us. Um, The other thing is sometimes we don't value it. Maybe we recognize that God's disciplining us, but we don't really appreciate it. We make light of God's discipline. And we sort of bristle at what God is doing, and we fight Him on that. And we sometimes we join those who sort of vilify God and and acting as uh, well, forgive me, acting as temperamental teenagers. You know, sometimes you know, uh, thinking we sometimes know better than our parents, right? Don't we sometimes fall in that temptation as teenagers that we think that sometimes we think of that as God. However, if we cooperate with God's providence, trusting Him as our Father, confident that His purpose is to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, then doesn't that mentally change everything as we encounter those difficulties? That we're going, Lord, this is hard, but I know you love me, and I know why you're doing it, and you'll help me. Sometimes uh, we ignore his discipline, or we don't value it. Sometimes we just don't heed it, and, and we make light of what the Lord's doing. But I think what we have to ask as we look at John 15 is um, some questions to ask is, Lord, how am I not abiding in Christ? You know, um, not only those three things that I was talking about, but maybe how are we fighting the Lord? Uh, We're fighting the Father as he is the gardener who is seeking to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And, And how am I keeping myself from greater fruitfulness. You know, what are the things in my life that are doing that? If if abiding is akin to being fully connected to Christ, then we must entreat our Father to open our eyes to see our self-sufficiency, to see our self-glory, to see our self-service. Because that changes, or excuse me, that challenge, that connection, and hinders our fruitfulness when we have those things in our hearts. So we are to be strong in the Lord and in His strength and look to Him um, that we can follow Him. So understand that the Father loves you even as you go through those times of discipline. That He is there uh, because He loves you and He is doing a very definite work in your life. Just like young people, as your parents correct you, um, you know, sometimes you think, I'm older I know better. You know, I don't need this. You know, you might be tempted to fall into that trap. So we as adults can sometimes think the same thing with God as he is at work in our lives. But as we embrace that, as we even come to appreciate and to love the Lord and be thankful for his discipline, totally changes the perspective of our life. And that's where we can have, that's where we can count it all joy, brothers. When you encounter trials of many kinds, because we know who the one is 
that is behind those trials. And he is our Father who loves us so much. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word that you've given to us. And I do pray, Lord, that and thank you uh, for the union that we have in Christ. Lord, let us think more about that. Let us meditate and ponder and consider that union that we have, that we might uh, delight in that, Lord, that we might also, Father, uh, as a result of that union with you, walk in communion and abide in you and to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, please work in our hearts to draw us to you. Even in our study, God, our focus can be much more theological and biblical, which obviously is not bad, but Lord, it can be uh, to the point where we do so and totally exclude the person of Christ or the Father or the Holy Spirit. And we ask for your forgiveness, Lord, when we fall into the trap to do these things for our own intellect and our, our, our own praise that people would see how smart we are. But yet, instead, Lord, we pray that we might be humble to follow you and to love you and to know you. We thank you, O God, and pray these things in your name. Amen.